January is Cervical Health Awareness Month. I'm going to talk to you all about cervical health. Then I'll be joined by very special guest, Eric Taylor. Stay tuned because you won't want to miss this. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. You ever feel like every time you go to the clinic, they're trying to get you to schedule a pap smear? I feel like that sometimes, and I think it's because I'm generally pretty healthy, so it's an easy thing for me to overlook, for it to slip my mind. Um, They're not just trying to upsell you guys. Preventative health is very important. Early detection is key to finding things when they're small problems and taking care of them and preventing them from becoming big problems and sometimes even life-threatening problems. So the next time you go into the clinic for an acute visit, okay, let me define acute. Acute is when you go in for a visit because of a symptom that you're having, a question that you have, a problem you're experiencing. A preventative visit is when you show up and you say, hey, you know, I'm looking for my clean bill of health. What do we need to do? Now, when you go in for an acute visit, if they're like, oh, it looks like it's been five years since you had a pap smear. We all say, oh, I'm going to go back and do that. Oh, no, I'll schedule it next time. No, you won't. Because next time is the next time you have a pressing issue and you're trying to rush off to the next thing you got to do. So when you're there and they say, hey, looks like you're overdue for a pap smear, pull out your phone or whatever kind of calendar you use, find a date where you can schedule an appointment to come in and just get it done. The first thing that we can do to prevent cervical cancer is get our girls and our boys vaccinated with the HPV vaccine. Um, it is a vaccine to protect against human papillomavirus, the virus that is responsible for causing cervical cancer. So it's a really big deal. You can ask your primary practitioner about it. They may bring it up at a well child check or sports physical. The next thing that we do to prevent cervical cancer is get our pap smears. Pap smears are a pelvic exam which includes brushing of the cervix for a sample of cells that can be sent to the lab and tested. All pelvic exams are not pap smears. So if you've gone in because you had, say, discharge or pain or itching or, you know, um, uh, abnormal bleeding, that doesn't necessarily mean they did a pap smear. Just because they used a speculum and, you know, looked at your pelvic area, doesn't mean it was a pap smear. A pap smear specifically is when they brush or scrape the cells of the of the cervix uh, for testing. Now, got to take a moment of silence for Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta Lacks, born Loretta Pleasant, uh, lived August 1st, 1920 to October 4th, 1951. She was a black 
woman, an African-American woman whose cancer cells are the source of the HeLa cell line. Um, That is the first immortalized human cell line and one of the most important cell lines in medical research. Um, There are documentaries about Henrietta Lacks. She was born in Baltimore, Maryland, um, and it's a really uh, interesting story and a story that also um, just really helps us understand where a lot of the mistrust in the healthcare system comes from. Uh, it's, it's rightfully placed. And those of us who are out here practicing, making sure that we're taking care of each and every patient who entrusts us with their care, a lot of us are doing what we're doing because of the history of mistreatment, because of lives lost in our own families um, due to neglect, uh, due to mistrust, due to failing uh, to get things detected early because of fear. Um, And I think all that is worth mentioning uh, when we're talking about preventative health because going in can be such an anxiety-inducing And unfortunately, sometimes traumatic experience for some of us. So, you know, I encourage you to take a a trusted friend. If you have a family member or a good friend that works in the medical field and you're comfortable taking them with you, take them with you. Uh, My husband goes with me when I go for pap tests. I've had the same gynecologist for 22 years. And still, you know, when I'm anxious and nervous, my husband comes with me because, um, it's just, I, I feel better about it. Um, and I uh, love my doc, you know, no no complaints with my doc. He delivered all my kids, love, love, love him. But just know that that is absolutely something you can do. You can bring someone with you and they can be in the room while you're being examined um, and going through this, especially if you've been through trauma. I know it's very difficult for people who've experienced sexual trauma to go in and have these kind of screenings done, but they can absolutely be life-saving. And that's why we do them because, you know, early detection means early treatment before things are out of control, before things spread. And that's the goal here. Okay. So, you know, let's pay homage to Henrietta Lacks, who without her cells that, you know, were used without her knowledge, you know, we got to acknowledge that and, and know that uh, when we go in for pap tests and, you know, other things, it's like because of an unknowing sacrifice made by a black woman, um, she's actually um, unintentionally or unknowingly saved a lot of lives. And I think that if she were alive today, I'd like to think that she would be okay with with me not getting cancer because of research that was done on her cells. So rest in peace to Henrietta Lacks, forever um, indebted to her for her contribution to medicine. Um, So pap smears, they start at age 21. And, you know, there's a whole algorithm that your healthcare practitioner knows Um, the biggest thing for you to know is that you're going to want to go in and get it done, you know, make a preventative health appointment. Um, the, there are reasons that a pap smear can be negative. Okay. Um, first, first of all, 
The results are going to either be satisfactory or unsatisfactory. Satisfactory means it was a good sample. I'm going to tell you guys something that you're not going to want to hear. Um, it's not comfortable getting this test done. You know, it is a little brush um, that's used. I used to get back these um, a PAP test that would say unsatisfactory. When I was a student and I first started doing um, uh, pelvic exams and pap smears, my pap smears, the first few were coming back unsatisfactory. Turns out I was using too much lubricant because I'm a nice person. Didn't want to hurt people. But when you send a bunch of lubricant to the lab, it doesn't give you a good sample. If if your pap test is a little uncomfortable or it seems like your provider maybe scraped a little rough or something, that might be the reason why. Um, it is uncomfortable, uh, but if you want to get a good sample, you know, it might feel like a little pinch just for a quick sec, okay? Um, so satisfactory or unsatisfactory. If it's unsatisfactory, it either means there was insufficient cells, um, obstruction with lubricant, or blood in the specimen. This isn't a test that you can do on your period. I, I know that when they put IUDs in, a lot of times we like you to be on your period because your cervix is a little bit dilated. Not the case with a pap smear, okay? Don't go for your pap smear on your period, okay? Um, so those are some things that can happen. If the test is satisfactory and negative, then you go back to the algorithm. If the test is positive, then your healthcare practitioner will guide you through the next steps. It's very important that you do all the follow-up and steps that they're guiding you to do. Um, a positive test can be devastating, but what's more devastating is not having the screening, not getting the early detection, and finding out you have a problem when it's too late. Finally, I want to say transgender men need to get pap smears as well. This can be such an awkward and um, just uncomfortable or traumatic appointment if you are seeing a provider that does not regularly see and treat transgender patients. I hate that I have to say this, but being black and being women, being trans, sometimes we have to teach people how to use their expertise to help us. Um, it is maddening and frustrating, but Sometimes it's the best we can do, depending on where we live and what we have access to. Sometimes we have to teach people how to treat us. Um, so if you are trans and you are due for a pap smear and your provider is not asking you, be empowered. Feel empowered to ask yourself and to put the provider at ease. Um, and that sounds so backwards. Because it is so backwards. We shouldn't have to teach people how to do their job as it relates to us. But sometimes, unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with. People aren't forced to learn about you when you are not, you know, the majority. And so sometimes we have to teach them how to be professional and provide care 
to all people. I will be back after the break with Eric Taylor, men's health and wellness expert, as well as fellow family nurse practitioner. You know what February is? Black History Month. You know what else it is? American Heart Month. You know what I am? A cardiology nurse practitioner. So all February long, I am going to help prevent you from becoming Black History. I am not a comedian, but I am a cardiology nurse practitioner by day. That's what I do all day, guys, 40 hours a week. And I am going to take the month of February to teach on some of my favorite topics with you. You're going to want to make sure that you're subscribed and that you share the episodes with friends and family members. There's going to be truly life-saving information going down the month of February. Listen, I don't have to look far and I'm sure you don't have to look far in your family to find someone who's been affected by heart disease. It is rampant and there's all different flavors. There's the electrical system, there's the vascular system, there's the structures of the heart, the valves, the chambers. The heart can be affected in so many different ways and we're going to talk about all of that. Things that you may already know, but I guarantee there will be a lot of things that you don't already know, like how snoring affects your heart, how carrying extra weight affects your heart, how being diabetic can affect your heart and vascular system. Guys, lots of information. You might even want to bring a pen and a piece of paper or sit with a friend and write your questions down. Hit me in the comments with what your questions are so I can make sure to address them in the following week's episode. So join me in February for some hearty conversations. (laughs) Oh man, okay, listen, let's get back to the show. I am here with Eric Taylor, family nurse practitioner in Houston, Texas area, Um, board certified family nurse practitioner, as well as nursing instructor, as well as um, owner, entrepreneur, founder of Priority Mail, LLC. Um, Eric, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, Devin, thank you so much for that great uh, welcome and introduction. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I had a chance to listen to your podcast, and I love what you're doing in the community, and I'm happy to be a part of what you're doing today. So, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and for agreeing to have this discussion. And I really, you know, want to just get into it. Tell us about who you are and how being a a male in the nursing industry, as well as a black male and provider, how do those intersect? How did you get to be 
who you are and, and where you are today? I think I can give you a good answer to that. So I was an athlete in high school. I uh, was good on the field, on the baseball diamond court, you name it. But I also was very good in the classroom as well. So athletically and academically, I could go to any school that I wanted to. A lot of the recruiters in the area wanted to recruit me to be to do something with athletics, but I didn't know if that was something I really wanted to stay with. And I had a concussion my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um and playing football. And with that, I was introduced to a nurse, a nurse, actually a nurse practitioner. And, you know, my parents are loving, caring parents, loving the death. They've been very uh, supportive all throughout my life and my career, but they were not afforded the opportunity to go to college. And the small town from in Alabama, you either went to work at the local factory, you joined the military, or you end up on the streets, you know, running game on the streets. And no, neither one of those were on my was on my radar. So, mm-hmm. but the experience I had with the nurse practitioner, seeing how caring she was, um, and what she was able to do for me, I really intrigued me. So I can remember going back to my guidance counselor and saying, "Hey, you know, I think I want to be a nurse." And I can remember her looking up from her desk. Because, again, I was a pretty good athlete. And uh, she was like, you're going to be playing football somewhere. You don't want to be a nurse. So I was pretty persistent and um, continued to follow up. And long story short, she finally got me the information I needed. And uh, because my mom and dad had didn't have the opportunity to go to college because we're from such a small rural town there in Alabama, right. you know, I had to really do some research because I really had no, no template to follow uh, because, again, just from where I'm from. So I started out at an LPN school and one of my instructors there, she said, you have a gift, young man, and you should really go on to become an RN and whatever else you want to do with your life, your steps have already been ordered. And I knew I wanted to, the, the terminal goal, ultimate goal for me was to become a nurse practitioner. But again, not having a roadmap to follow, right. I had to I had to piecemeal that thing together to figure out where I wanted to go and how I wanted to get there. So finished LPN school. I met a lot of great people in my struggle to get through the program. Not not struggle academically, but just to get the resources and to hold it together because one thing I quickly identified as a black male, that I was not supposed to be there. Mm. That, That was quickly shared with me because again, I'm in Alabama and, you know, colored was used very frequently yeah. and boy was used very frequent, frequently at that time. This yeah. is the late 90s. Yeah. And there were many places I would go. And even as the student being identified as a student, I was treated like an orderly or something that was much less than a student because right. they weren't used to seeing me. Right. So. Yeah. So I, I was very, pr- I prayed a lot. My family prayed a lot, kept me lifted up because there were some days that I wondered, did I choose the right path? I'm so thankful for my community that yes. I'm from because I'm standing on the shoulders of many uh, to be doing what I'm doing today and be given this opportunity. And I don't take it for granted. I have to pinch myself yes. uh, because <laughs> each, each level of nursing that I was able to go through, becoming the LPN, then becoming the RN and becoming the nurse practitioner, I experienced some things that you wouldn't think you would experience in America today because, you know, this is the land of the free. But mm. again, as a black man, there are some things that are set up that are very subtle 
some are very intentional, right. uh, and and they're they're to me they're set up to to get you off your path, to kill your drive, uh, and to keep you off or out of the um, the um, arena yeah. of where you can have a successful life. Right. And again, I was able to rise above a lot of those circumstances and situations and obstacles because. There are many that I don't care to rehash because it's, it's painful. Right, yes. It's painful um, to think about the names that I've been called, to think about some of the things that have been said directly to me mm-hmm. that were not meant well, uh, but I had to take it and then kill them with kindness and continue to provide the care that I was providing. I so, think it's so important to say that because... I mean, I went through LPN, RN, you know, same path as a black female. And I think as women, we are expected to be caregivers. We're expected to be nurturers. Definitely have my share of very painful things said and done, both in school and by patients alike. But there was, I think, two men in my LPN class in my oh, RN yeah. class, there might have been, I, I, I'm remembering two men in my RN class. And there were so many times that patients wanted a female provider or, you know, yeah. they were made to feel like, you know, you can't, sorry, this isn't for you. But yeah. to hear, to have the layer of being a male and a black male at that in the South, it's just awesome that you are here and that you did persevere. Yeah. And I hope, I know so many younger men that see you and get to be around you or even even just see you on social media. It's like, oh, like you were saying about not having that blueprint or that template. Mm-hmm. Like you are that now for so many people. Yeah. So that is so... That is so cool. Congratulations to you. Well, thank you. And same to you, because it seems like we had similar paths <laughs> yes. uh, to where we are today. So, yes. yeah, same to you. Thank you. All that I can do to give back, to make this world a better place, to to help the health of men especially, yes. I am trying to do that. And I'm at a place at this point in my life and my career where I can do that. I love that you have a passion for men. Um, yes. And I love that you are a man with a passion for men because I think that makes a difference. I, I grew up with oh, yeah. uh, awesome, awesome parents. My dad was incredible. I have three brothers who protected me to the ends of the earth and still do. <laughs> I'm right. married to a man and a mother of two boys. We have one right. girl and two boys. And I love men, but I also know that you're going to get further in that first touch than I am, you know, for yeah. the simple fact that you... I'm a male. That's right. That's right. So, And I happen to look like them. Exactly. And I get that all the time. Exactly. Um, and the connection, and I, I noticed this connection many years ago. Again, I've been, I don't know if I shared, I've been a nurse for 22 years and an MP for the last 11. And in that time, uh, what kind of put me on this path to men's health was I'm a former ICU nurse and I've pumped on, I've done enough CPR on, on chest, on men that I could care to do any more in my life. And I've taken Amen. so many men to the morgue that shouldn't have gone 
uh, mm. because they died prematurely from conditions that we can manage and do something about. And it started to dawn on me. It's like, man, you know, after about, you know, you, you, you become numb to death because you know what life there's death. And especially in the ICU, right. you know, these people are very critical and, you know, things can change in a matter of, you know, a few hours. And, you know, after having so many uncomfortable conversations at the bedside mm-hmm. with family members, young family members coming to the bedside with beautiful families. And it's like this brother is no longer here to see his beautiful kids grow up and right. to see, you know, to have a good life with his wife and to be there to support them on their journey. Right. He, he's gone way too soon. And I'm like, why is this happening? You know, and I was like, maybe I, you know, what can I do about it? So I kept asking myself, why, 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 what can I do? And so, you know what? At some point, I need to pull the trigger on this, quit talking about it, and be about action. Now, I just started going to local barbershops and talking to brothers. You know, I would go get a haircut when I had hair. <laughs> and uh, I would go there because that's where it goes down at. That's where I you can know. get men's undivided attention at the barbershop. My husband is a barber. and All right. You know, he's I, a counselor. He's also a counselor. He <laughs> is very much so. But I've had, just like you're saying, so many conversations with people that just because I went to take him lunch or, you know, say hey or whatever. So I love that. Ooh, you know yeah. what? That is a ministry, isn't it? Yeah, we called it. I called it shop talk. And uh, what we, I would do is I would go there. I would have conversations with me and I would present on simple topics like prostate cancer, blood pressure. I do blood pressure screening. I do blood sugar screenings. And I would ask questions, you know. And then a lot of the young men would get, they knew me because I was coming there to get a haircut. So it was like, they didn't know I did what I was doing professionally so that was intriguing for them so not only did we have the conversation about health and wellness they wanted to know how did I choose the path that I chose to become a nurse practitioner so it was uh it was like killing two birds uh with one stone because I was able to not only mentor I was also able to help from a health standpoint and provide some education on health and wellness but you know most men that first consultation starts at the barbershop if they don't use Dr. Google they end up at the barbershop and there's so many have truths and whole life right. being told right. at the barbershop <laughs> right. that you have to be very careful with uh, that information. And a lot of times, their barber is the first person that they talk to about erectile dysfunction mm. or marital issues right. or a depression, if they even talk about it. Because mm-hmm. there's some things that mean we just don't talk about because of the way we are raised in this country, in this world, rather. Right. Right. And and I'm trying to break down those stereotypes of, of men being macho and, and not being able to express your feelings and not being able to talk about your most uh, innermost thoughts, you know, because I want to provide that safe place where they can come. None ju- uh, I'm not going to judge you because, first of all, I'm a man. I'm dealing with the same issues you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I don't put on this stethoscope. And, and the lab coat and become some superhero and become immune to this. I have the same issues. Mm. But not only that, I have the evidence-based knowledge to help you better manage it and better understand it and help you develop a plan with some shared goals that can help you see that, you know, become um, better for you in your life. It's yeah. always so. blown my mind. One thing that's always blown my mind when, it, when talking with men about their health is how many brothers know something's wrong, know they're at mm-hmm. risk for things, know every male in their family is a diabetic or hypertensive, mm-hmm. or, and still, still don't present for care. And I, 
I understand that on an emotional level, but on a logical mm-hmm. level, I just want to clone you 20 times and put a couple of you in every <laughs> big city so I can say, go see Eric, go see Eric. Yeah, so, send them on the way. I'm going to shoot it to them straight. But I, but I understand where they're coming from because, again, yes. the history in the country in this country is not good when it comes to African-Americans and or minority men in, in the healthcare system or the sick care system, as they call it. Um, and then you... When to try to engage in a system where you don't see someone that looks like you, and then you run into those things that I expressed earlier that I experienced becoming a nurse, right. where where they where they see you as a threat, right. where you are you are um, you shouldn't be here. Why are you here? Even if you have an appointment and you give them all the information, it's almost like they're ready to press the panic button or call the police because right. here's this big black man standing here, and I'm uncomfortable because we're not used to dealing with him. So you get that before you even get to see the doctor, right? From the the person checking you in. Mm-hmm. So now you get that and then you get back to actually see the doctor and then they dismiss everything you're saying. Yeah. You it's, don't have that kind of pain. Much. That doesn't happen. Oh, your labs are fine. Oh, your family history is not that important. Really? <laughs> I, but I just Googled all this before I came to see you, doc. And I just dropped $30 at your front desk with, for a copay. Right. And you don't not dismiss everything. So now I'm not coming back. Exactly. I'm not coming back. And that person gets fragmented care if they get any care at all throughout their life. Or they're just trying to rush people through and they don't do the proper education. You know, when you prescribe a medication, that's a big deal to somebody who's never been on a prescription medication. And you have to explain the side effects. You are going to feel tired, weak, dizzy if you stand Uh too quickly on this blood pressure medication. You're used to walking around with very high pressure in your (laughs) vascular system. Everything's about to chill out. I tell you, it takes less than five minutes for me to Mm -hmm. explain these type of things when I prescribe beta blockers. I I call it the hot tub effect, you know, where everything dilates. You just don't want to move. But if they're trying to rush you through and you don't do that education people say well what did they just give me i feel worse than i did when i went in i'm not taking this and i'm not going to take it again and i'm not going back but think about it we're told to vaccinate our kids to prevent illness and we do that we buy software to protect our computers our precious ipads and iphones (laughs) we do that most men change the oil in their car every five sometimes ten thousand miles and we wash our hands to prevent the spread of disease. But men will not go to the doctor, even if it is a free annual physical. And I cannot understand that for anything in this world. And most of them have great insurance plans. That's what blows me away, too. There's a lot of refinery <laughs> workers out here. Oh, my and God. And it's like money's not the problem. Insurance isn't the yep. problem. But, you know, I think the culture is the problem. And we're here yeah. to change the narrative and tell people, listen, as a wife, I want you to be healthy. I want you to live. I want to grow old with you. And when yes. we retire, I don't want to just be feeding you pills in your chair all day. I want to go places and do things. But, you know, so many men just work themselves to death, literally. Yeah. And then as women, you all are perfect helpmates to us and partners in our lives. And y'all take so much better care of yourselves, the kids. And then, like you just said, you end up taking care of us because if we're fortunate to still be in your life, we've neglected our health. And now... 
We're trying to buy back our health. And I always seen, and I've seen this over the years. I've seen men work for 30, 40, 50 years in a chosen mm-hmm. career. Yeah. They'll amass a really nice nest egg. But in that time, if they're still fortunate to still be here, they've neglected their health. So when they retire, that when that, that uh, horizon starts to come and the sun starts to slowly set and they retire, which you just said was powerful because the wife is still spry and ready to go do whatever, but they can't do anything. And then they end up, their now new full-time job after just coming off of the job becomes going to this doctor, going to that right. specialist, having this procedure, having that procedure. And before mm-hmm. you know it, they're now trying to buy back their health with their retirement plan because their body won't cooperate with what their pocket is able to afford. Mm-hmm. And I, I never want to be in that situation. I joke with my wife all the time. I say, I'm going to chase you all the way to the grave, baby. Oh, That's Lord. <laughs> and we know you mean it, too. <laughs> I don't know what I do. She knows. She knows I mean that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm so glad to have found your platform. Please tell Same the here. listeners where they can find you <laughs> in the East Streets. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it, Ms. Devin, as well. And I love what you're doing with the Purple Stethoscope. And uh, I I hope we can maybe form some partnership moving forward, any way that I can help and assist you uh, with some of the challenges you may have with some of the men patients, the male patients you come across and the men that you have on your show. I would love to continue to be a part of that. And uh, again, I'm going to share your platform because I have uh, quite a few followers as well that would definitely benefit from what you're doing and sharing in the community so i think we're kindred spirits here from what we're trying to do (laughs) and i do know that yeah and i do know that there's a need in the community and social media connects us although you are two time zones away from me look at how we're able to make this happen still so absolutely yeah yeah, wow. this has been a great experience, and um, I hope that the podcast is well received. And uh, for those interested, you know, you can follow me at Priority Mail, and again, that's P R Y O R I T Y M A L E. And if there's something, I always tell my listeners uh, and my followers, if there's something that you want to hear me speak on specifically, please share that with me, and I'm happy to do so. Thank you for listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you like what you heard, go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work. Mm-hmm.